Welcome back to another edition of PS Voice. In this episode, Pia sits down with Russia expert and professor of international affairs Nina Khrushcheva in a discussion moderated by Pia's contributing editor, John Anders. They kick off with Trump, Putin, and the truth. With us, we have Krista Paris from the Estonian newspaper Esti Pavlevet and Arnold Brovers from the Dutch newspaper Die Volkskrant. Nina, let me start. Before we get on to Russia, um, let's talk a tiny bit about President Trump. Uh, is he turning America into a very illiberal uh, country? I mean, the, the war with Mexico, threatening to take money away from the United Nations, uh, banning various immigrants, etc. Well, it seems like it, although he's not entirely original uh, in this kind of development, because we've seen these uh, developments already in Europe and elsewhere. Uh, the time for illiberal democracy when those, and I call them not always liberal Democrats, but also autocratic Democrats, because these are, or democratic autocrats, the people who are um, democratically elected, but then say, we are going to protect the like nation. Victor Orban like in Victor Hungary. Orban in Hungary, um, uh, like Erdogan, President Erdogan in Turkey, like Vladimir Putin himself. Uh, so we've seen this development for the last decade, I think, all around the world. I think the difference with America is that Americans thought it was not an American phenomenon, it was just elsewhere. And now we're seeing that it, 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 that's not the case, that America is part of the world after all. Krista, uh, do you have a question for Nina on, on this or post-truth America? If you're talking to, let's say, NATO officials, then they are implying that actually there is a war going on. We still don't know it, but it has started as a hybrid warfare, we can say, through uh, attacks on free press, attacks on truth and so on. What is, the, what is the appeal of Mr. Putin's message that it is even heard in such anti-Russian places like, like Poland? Putin is just the kind of one of the beginners of this kind of trend. The trend began after September 11th, in two, uh, after 2001. And uh, uh, in fact, I think Putin is not the origins of this trend. In fact, I would say that Dick Cheney, the former vice president of the United States, is the one who started this kind of development saying we can, we were attacked and therefore we have the right to act uh, unilaterally. We can uh, harass journalists and newspapers that um, try to try to report the truth, not because this is not the truth that we uh, consider uh, the know, right one. Now we are seeing alternative facts. But you are right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I think at the time in the two thousands, the alternative facts were different. But certainly, the truth was was modeled under certain um, into a certain kind of truth truthfulness or truish truish uh, uh, in, information. And so Putin actually picked up on that because Russia is always in, as we remember in the Cold War, is always in competition with the uh, with the United States. And so Putin essentially said, "Well, if America can do it, so can I." And I think that's we've. Seen seen the development of the world. Uh, yeah, if I may, I, I wonder if it's not, if we're not giving a great gift to authoritarian leaders uh, worldwide, if we start uh, calling uh, America an illiberal democracy because uh, a nationalist won the democratic elections. Uh, if, if we start confusing all those terms, uh, isn't that the greatest gift we could do to, to countries and to leaders who actually are not democratic? Yes and no, because I also think since we talk about truth, we do have to call things the way they are. And, and Trump 
uh, was democratically elected leader, but he's, at least what he has shown, I mean, he's been on the job for only a, a week, but he's shown that he is in favor of various uh, illiberal acts, which he thinks are part of the new democracy that he's going to establish. So yes, it is true, we are going to give, um, we are going to give everybody else a possibility to act this way, but I think America already did this. I mean, the but fact that they elected... we have you know, the idea of checks and balances in the American system. Now, you do have a Republican-controlled Senate now, Republican-controlled Congress, and a lot of Republican gov uh, governors. So exactly. And if we look at what Trump does, I mean, I was shocked by the amount of decrees that he has issued in the first five minutes. I actually remember mm -hmm. um, I was talking to my Chinese uh, colleagues, I mean, people who analyze China, and they say, oh, my God, it sounds, it looks so and sounds so familiar. The same mm. goes for me as a Russian. Uh, when Boris Yeltsin became Russian president in uh, 1991, it was kind of the same thing. I mean, he, he ruled by decree because he kept saying, well, I cannot trust anybody, just myself. So I agree with you, but I also think that uh, it's not that the world is going to take bad cues it's already, Trump already gave those cues to the Why world. You, uh, uh, what's your feeling on this? Well, my feeling is that, that, that uh, we need to, to, to keep a clear distinction between different political systems. If you look, for instance, at Russia, uh, you could see that uh, Mr. Putin has uh, sort of gotten rid of all uh, political opposition uh, effectively. So I think there's a really uh, fundamental difference uh, with the way that the United States is, is run. And if I, I'm simply worried that if we sort of put everything in the same big soup, that we we're exactly doing what, what for instance, Russia Today or, or you know, no. Russian uh, experts uh, uh, analyzing the world want us to do. This is my Can I respond? Yes, May please. I, respond? Um, I actually, I don't think we are, because as I said, I mean, as we discussed, Trump has been in a on a job only for a week. Mm. So we are only thinking right. of what he said, what does it mean in other systems? When Putin started, there was a system, at least in um, more than ever, Russia had the system of checks and balances. I mean, they did call it managed democracy, vertical democracy. Now it's much less, much less democracy, much more vertical or managed. I mean, for people like us who analyze Putin or KGB or other uh, Russian leaders, uh, even um, little str uh, evidence of strength was suspicious. But for a long, long time, at least for almost six, seven, eight, even eight years, it seemed like it was a reasonably democratic environment, although, of course, with Russian characteristics. So I think we're just talking about the, I mean, and I think we're talking more about the time frame than we're talking about um, uh, about the definition. Krista, do you have views yes, on that? Yes, exactly. I mean, if you're saying a time frame, it sounds very dangerous to me because, uh, well, Mr. Trump has taken on the same very checks and balances, one of the main pillars of it. Uh, it's, it's a free media where he, he has basically said say that he's at war with media. Uh, there were already arrests on the inauguration day of uh, journalists. It all sounds so similar. Um, how... How vulnerable is America to uh, some kind of uh, soft authoritarianism? I don't think about having Putin double two double two zero right now, but uh, something like that. And I actually, I think to your point is that we do know, unless something horrible happens, 
Trump is there for four years. If we're very unlucky, he's there for eight <laughs> years. Putin has been around for 17 years, and that's the difference. So because what? ultimately they go away in our system. And next, Russia's ambitions. If, let's say, Russia is a kind of on, on offensive, that especially in Estonia, in a small country next to the border, we're quite afraid of uh, all kind of Russian moves. But what is actually the, the, the aim of Russia? There's also a talk of uh, building up military muscles, of increasing all the time military budget. But then again, it's, it's still a, a weak country militarily, if you, if you compare it to, to NATO. What is like, like the, the main the, the ends of, of uh, Mr. Putin's will? But Russia is a weak country. It, it is a weak country generally, not just in military terms, but in, you know, say, let's talk about information. Let's talk about, um, uh, let's talk about civil society. I mean, it is a country that is very weak, and that's why it has very weak liberties, because that's why it always wants a Tsar or Putin, uh, precisely because it feels that uh, if somebody in the center controls the system, then you can convince everybody that the system is strong. But the system has never been strong. And I think the ambition is that Russia always wants to be great. It wants to be greater than anybody else. It wants to keep its 11 time zones. Chris, from your point of view, in, in Estonia, and when you look at the hybrid warfare that Putin has deployed, for example, Ukraine, Eastern Ukraine, and then if you look also at uh, what Trump has said about NATO, I mean, you must feel slightly uh, nervous. Or well, not. yes. Uh, we knew that there was, was one unpredictability that is in Kremlin and one predictability that is NATO. Currently, this other pillar has, has just ceased to be. And, uh, well, now our diplomats are trying uh, eagerly to find any kind of ways to, to Mr. Trump at all because we don't have any contacts with him. And, uh, yes, uh, what most uh, is, feels most, most threatening are hints that he might want to carve up some kind of pacts in, let's say, 1939 style uh, with Russia or other big powers. Let me just ask Arnold, I mean, when you look at this situation, what do you feel? Well, uh, I, I actually have one follow-up question on, on this illiberal democracy thing. Um, you uh, made a very interesting argument recently uh, that uh, Mr. Putin is actually not out to undermine a liberal democracy in the West, but that he's simply pursuing his country's interests and that he is exposing uh, double standards in the West to do that. Uh, I, I thought that was interesting because uh, it's original. Most people simply uh, assume that he has some huge conspiracy going on to undermine democracy in the entire world. So I, I'd like to ask you about that uh, in connection with the fact that you wrote that in America there was some sort of a hysterical reaction to uh, um, Russian involvement uh, in the election, the American elections. I wasn't exactly saying that he was not to undermine American, I mean, to undermine liberal democracy. He is at this point now. But what I was saying is that originally, now he's saying, well, you didn't take me into your liberal democratic club, and therefore I'm going to develop my own parallel world order because you were, I was not admitted into mine, uh, into yours. So that's that was my argument. I actually think that taking 17 years, by now he's totally... At that, he is undermining liberal democracy because, in his view, liberal democracy is something that discredited itself. It discredited itself with the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, with the NSA spying, 
with the uh, with the with the Arab Spring, with the Syrian War, and whatnot. And so that's what he's saying: is that fine? You thought I was bad, but look at you; you're also bad. And he's exposing this kind of hypocrisies, as we know. I mean, quite the West then the West has quite a bit. Yeah. And so I think that was his original idea. I mean, I'm not, it's not a defense of Putin in any way. I mean, and that original idea is a lot of people would argue is a very KGB driven. Yes, but I think when one understands this, one probably should refrain from hysterical reaction to Putin, but instead mm -hmm. look at him and find out what kind of diplomatic relationship one can have to stop him or at least deal with him um, on a war, in, in, a, in, a, in a way that the world can benefit from. This section, U.S. and Russia on the world stage. Even uh, there are uh, now people, again, talking about uh, Stefan Zweig's uh, books about yesterday's world and so on. It all feels so familiar. And at the same time, we want to believe that it, might, it, it just cannot be happening. What are the dangers or actually probabilities of uh, um, Russia and U.S. Covering up some big pact, maybe maybe against China, maybe against Islamic State, and then uh, just uh, pawns like Estonia will be sacrificed. Well, I think there are great probabilities, and we already I mean, uh, Donald Trump already promised that there are probabilities that we are going to be great friends. I mean, we in America are going to be great friends with Putin over ISIS, and we are going to, you know, if the Russians want to take care of it, let them take care of it. Uh, there is a school of thought, especially in Russia right now, where I just came from Moscow, uh, that um, uh, Putin will be allowed back into the Western camp. Trump's Western camp is, is an oxymoron in terms, but let's just say Western camp of Donald Trump because Putin is going to give up his relationship with China or at least uh, kind of tone them down because Trump is very anti-Chinese, at least uh, so, so, so he has been saying. So that would allow Putin to be, become um, part of G8 again. Uh, and I think it is a great danger for a lot of countries, you know, so the Baltics certainly, uh, what will be the fate of Ukraine, what will be the fate of, uh, of uh, Moldova, and all these other countries that were used to comprise the Soviet space. I don't know exactly which way it can go, because I think also as much as, as important as history is and our, as a point of reference, we cannot exactly say it's going to be exactly like the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact of 1939. I don't think we can say that. But certainly, I'm very afraid for the world. I was wondering how, how you see uh, this um, talk of some sort of a civilizational alliance, uh, which has been proposed from Moscow, of course, already for quite some time, uh, saying that you, you guys in the West, you got it all wrong uh, because we're actually on the same side against uh, Islamic uh, terrorism and extremism, uh, and we should be fighting it together. Uh, there are actually a couple of leaders in the world elsewhere uh, who, who might join such an alliance, um, and then you get a whole different uh, sort of geostrategic uh, setup. Uh, do you see that happening? In a bit. I mean, I think this whole civilizational argument that is very big, I mean, when you ask what Putin wants, I mean, that whole civilization argument is very big for Putin. He keeps saying that it's, you know, when we, um, now in the West, clearly we're I mean, not he, part he of the West. Samuel Huntington. Right, he did, mm -hmm. and he said, well, that's not the end of history, that's the end of your history. If you don't want me in your history, I'm going to make my own, which he's making, and so we're having this whole civilizational debate, and his bad relationship with Erdogan originally and now better are the ones that are actually sort of the sultan versus the 
um, the Tsar uh, relationship. So I think there is a civilizational debate at least. And in fact, Putin also, because not only size that matters for Putin, also his historical destiny is also very important. And in some ways he's leading, I mean, as much as he says he's leading, he's leading that civiliza civilizational battle because the Tsars before him was leading this kind of battle exactly sort of, so he was, Russia was always a buffer between Europe and Asia, so to speak. Uh, and so they do that. Of course, we have uh, practical matters. Uh, the, the Russian economy is really uh, not doing well. And I think one of the highest uh, uh, on the list of desirables in Moscow is to get rid of those sanctions. Uh, and this is what I expect Mr. Putin to really be after in, in the short term. Uh, so that's going to put uh, Europe in a difficult spot. Uh, and it's going to put uh, uh, Angela Merkel in a difficult spot. Uh, how do you see her and how do you see Europe reacting to this? Because um, one of the sort of traditional fears in European diplomacy is to have the United States and Russia uh, dealing with each other of over course, the heads yeah. of the, the Europeans and deciding what's, what's good for everybody. Now Russia got used to sanctions. Yes, they want it out, but they actually can survive them because if you read Russian, the Russian press, you know, all of it is phrased in militaristic terms. And, you know, when Russia is at war, and you mentioned that Russia is in this asymmetrical war, or some, some is more symmetrical than others, some other places more symmetrical than others, the Russians feel that if you are at war, you actually can survive a lot of things. So they would want sanctions lifted, but they can get used to them, or they got used to them. Christo, uh, I think you may have a question on Putin's future. Well, basically, the main idea is that to Putin is mortal, and we have seen uh, quite many signs, also some shifts in, in the administration, uh, putting, for example, uh, Anton Vaino in, in the head of uh, uh, Sergei Ivanov, uh, and so on, which some analysts interpret as uh, preparations to, to leave office and hand over to someone who knows who, to whom. And uh, I'm, I mean, do you see signs that uh, Putin is already playing a long-term game how to go into the history as the Tsar that uh, stood, that um, gave up the throne voluntarily. Hey, uh, is he mortal really? Uh, <laughs> his changing of the guard actually with the last um, year or so, two years, seems more like a vampire move is that when, you know, the vampire runs out of life cycle, he has to drink blood the fresh blood, and so exactly what he's doing, and you know, the, um, those uh, new positions that are supposedly more liberal, that more liberal people take them than the people before, is sort of window dressing of vampire, drinking blood of those who's like, oh, you know, look, we have a Kirillenko now, Sergei Kirillenko, once a liberal man, who is now part of my administration, and that's supposed to make you feel very, very confident that I'm going to leave power. I don't believe, I, you know, when, you, Nobody leaves power in the 17th year of power. If he, he had a chance to get out, he got out in 2008, he came back in 2012, he didn't have to come back, but he did. Unfortunately, we need to finish the session, but let me give you a final question and actually quote, I think it was Enoch Powell, another a British politician, who said, all political careers end in failure. How is Putin's career going to end and when?
Putin needs to stay. He's going to stay. He plans to stay until 2024. The Constitution allows him. And then he'll find another way. And he, unless he's dead, he'll There'll find another, another way to whatever. stay something. Well, or, or they would say, you know what, the world, we're in such danger because of NATO that we, uh, or Brexit or something, that we actually need to have our Putin because he's going to protect us. He needs to die in the Kremlin or he's dead, he's dead otherwise. But so on we, that... will an, we will have another Brezhnev. <laughs> we will have another Brezhnev. <laughs> on that note, Nina Khrushcheva, thank you thank very you. much for being thank with you. us on PS On Air. Thanks for listening to PS Voice. Go beyond the news with Project Syndicate by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and by reading our greatest minds at www.project-syndicate.org.